Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Today is the first episode of the second season of In Defense of Ska. To celebrate a full year of content, we decided to bring on the man himself, Mike Szynski, owner and operator of Bad Time Records and singer-guitarist for Kill Lincoln. Any talk about there being a Ska revival in the last few years absolutely includes Mike and everything he's done with Bad Time and Kill Lincoln. So today... We break it all down with an in-depth discussion of Mike's contribution to ska. I'm so glad that I live in the same town as Mike Sosinski. Mm. It makes it so easy to be on Bad Time Records. It's so great that I can just drive across town or ride my bike across town and go help Mike pack records. So what you're saying is uh, all the young ska punk kids out there that are eager to be on Bad Time Records, uh, they should move to Alameda? Sure. (laughs) It's very affordable to live here. Move here now. You can definitely afford an apartment on an artist's salary. No problem. And you will 100% guaranteed be on Bad Time Records. (laughs) (laughs) Or you'll at least be able to come over and pack records. Yeah, you'll definitely be able to pack records. He will accept you as a a record packer. No problem. No problem there. (laughs) Okay, so there's a global pandemic. You're stuck inside. You're scared. All right? And then... You get a, uh, I'm imagining you get an email uh, from Brooklyn Vegan saying they want to interview you for an article. Is this the beginning of kind of getting like a larger coverage for uh, Bad Time Records? Oh, wow. Um, Well, I now I have to go back to that very dark time in 2020. So (laughs) so thanks a lot, Aaron. That's a real bummer. Um, Just, you know, put yourself in that place. You were were playing, you know, streaming shows. (laughs) I was trying to get all like happy and upbeat for this, but now I'm now, wow. To start with a downer. No. Um, well, I think the first, um, I think the first time I heard from Brooklyn vegan was like when we put out the kill Lincoln record. When was that? So the kill Lincoln record, we announced it in June of 2020 and then, um, it came out in August, 2020. Okay. So that was the first time. Okay. And then where, I mean, was that, was that surprising to you? I mean, I guess they'd already been, they, earlier that year, they'd been starting to do the ska stuff. Yeah, well, they so I, like we first heard from them to do a. Um, they covered so we did the release of the second Kill Lincoln single, which was um, "Ignorance Is Bliss." We had a video for it, and um, they did the they did the premiere of it and and covered it, which I thought was incredible. We were like, "Oh my god, Brooklyn Vegan!" Like this is a site that like I'd only 
imagined might cover ska like seriously i was <laughs> i was i was really floored i was like super super surprised and honored and i still am every time that like something ska winds up in brooklyn vegan or something bad time i'm just like i have to like pinch myself a little bit because uh i mean as you both know even very recently to get any kind of coverage anywhere was very special but uh yeah brooklyn vegan always seemed like this very cool um i don't know like cooler like cool enough that it had like it was covering bands that i had no idea like what they were about <laughs> you know like i didn't know what brooklyn vegan was covering most of the time um so for them to reach out and be interested like that was super super cool and then yeah after that i think it was um well right after the kill lincoln record came uh sky against racism and they were like yeah of course we want to talk about that like that so I don't remember the whole chronology, like of when things came out and when they started to cover things, because it's all a huge blur, because like most of 2020 is a blur for most of us. I can say this. September of 2020 is when they published that article, that long article, Scott is thriving right now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You were interviewed for that. And Scott against yep. racism uh, isn't the sole focus of that, but there's definitely a lot of focus put on that release as sort of a symbol or like a, a this, yeah. this is a moment in time and ska is kind of you know as a as an example of how the interest in ska was changing yeah i thought that article was just i mean i have to shout out andrew at broken vegan who like it's he's first of all he's just a, a super nice guy but also like he's very thorough he is very thoughtful in his questioning he does his research um, I mean, Aaron, you would know something about this, being thoughtful and doing research, because you were the same way. <laughs> um, but Andrew... Uh, not you, is, Adam. No, not you, Adam. No, Adam doesn't. No, not at all. Adam, just, yeah. I'm thoughtful. I just don't do my research. Yeah, exactly. He's got the one, but not the other. Um, but anyway, so I, I, for so long, like, even when we would kind of get press coverage on random sites, either Kill Lincoln or other bands, like, I don't, there was nobody who really wanted to stick their neck out and really just, like, be like, here I am. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about ska now. Like I'm going to write for it for this actually very popular music blog. And um, yeah, Andrew just like, he dove deep. If you go back and read that, it's like, it's long. Like he really got yeah. into it. It's like a very thorough, long article. And I was just amazed at how well he kind of summed up what was happening. Um, obviously nothing is all inclusive of everything happening because that's impossible um talking to you facebook um but like he did a great job of like <laughs> really digging in and he talked to a lot of people i thought and obviously not everybody but yeah i was super new nervous to talk to him i remember i was just like oh my god brooklyn vegan wants to talk to me uh, uh what do i say i'm gonna sound stupid um and i probably did but still andrew wrote a very uh very kind and uh, thorough article so this time period uh scott against racism the comp came out probably like what in August or did it also come out in September? It was August. Yeah. Scott against racism comp comes out and I, and it's my understanding that it did probably better than you were anticipating. Yes. <laughs> okay. So between Scott against racism and that article, is that where it really started to feel like, huh, um, this label that I'm doing maybe is going to be doing better than I ever expected. Yeah, I mean, it was it was some point in it was that summer um, because 
and I have to start back up with the Kill Lincoln record. Like, I mean, we had been doing some really cool stuff, and before that, um, you know, the Kill Lincoln record was my band's record, and I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna, <sighs> I just want to go all out for this, and I want to do absolutely everything I can do. Like, Drew, our hype man, jumped out of a plane to do the announce video. Like, he skydived. What really? Yeah, you didn't, you didn't see that? I didn't see that. No, I didn't see that. He jumps out of a plane, and while he's falling through the air, he's like, we got a new Kill Lincoln album. It's out on August 4th. Blah, blah. Like, he's in midair. We, we build it as, like, the highest hype jump, like, ever or whatever. And uh, so we really, like, because we had nothing else to do. Also, like, it was mid-pandemic. Like, we could put all our energy into just thinking of, like, crazy ideas and just, you know, I was making graphics and videos and animations. I've got like so many different stupid promo graphics I made and tried and some work, some didn't, but anyway, like, yeah, so that's where it like, and that did, that went really well. Like the Kill Lincoln record was very well received so much better than I thought it would be. Like, you know, we, we sold out of our first pressing that like really quickly. And I was very surprised because in the history of that band, like we had only sold like, I mean, we had sold less than 500 physical copies of, of anything. Um, so to go through that in, in a couple of days, weeks was like incredible. So it started there. And then obviously getting to work on Sky Against Racism with with Phil at Scott Punk Daily and, and Mike was like a dream come true. Um, like I literally I literally couldn't believe that was happening. I think the, the piece of information that I heard about it that kind of caught my attention was that you didn't you do like sell those out really fast and then do another batch or something like that. Yes. So what, so give me the, give, give the info on that. So I originally, so it was, it was Phil's idea to do a compilation. I have to shout out Phil for that. And he wanted to bring kill Lincoln into it. And we had a song we had, we covered skank and pickle. So I was like, yes, we'd love to be on this. So he put me and Mike together and the three of us were like, Oh, we're going to do this compilation, but nobody was talking about a physical release. And I said, well, I'll do the vinyl. And I think Mike was like, yeah, a physical really sounds cool, but like, I'm really busy. And I was like, I get it. I, I totally understand, but I can do the vinyl. Like I'll press it and I'll fulfill it. And he was like, if you want to take that on, like, sure. So my original idea was to just do 500. Cause to me at that time, like 500 records, was it a lot of records? Like doing 500 records was an 500 double LPs was first of all, like expensive upfront costs. And uh, just takes a lot of time to ship. You need a lot of boxes, a lot of tape, a lot of this space, all help. Um, but my wife actually convinced me to push to do a thousand copies. So she, we like talked about it. And she was like, no, I'll help you. Like, even if nobody else can come help because of COVID, like we can do it together. Like we can do a thousand. I was like, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I'll help you. Uh, so for anybody who's like complaining that there weren't enough copies, the only reason there were we started with a thousand was because of my wife. So thank you to uh, Zelina, my wife. Um, so then when we announced it, I think within it was within an hour we sold out of all one thousand, and I'd never seen anything sell that fast. Oh wow, yeah, it was crazy that the message um, was just spreading that fast. Like you know, you get all these bands on the on the compilation, but it takes time for all those bands to like spread the message, and not everybody announced it right away. Um, so it. I thought it was going to take a while, but it went very quickly. So yeah, the next day I, I called my, my pressing rep, uh, at the, at the plant. And I was like, hey, can we add more copies at this point? Can we do that? And they're like, yeah, it's still pretty far out. We can, we can add some more. So I'm like, all right, we'll add 500 more. And then that's it. That's already more than we 
kind of <laughs> bargained for. So, so that's how we did it. And yeah, shipping 1500 records, uh, with just two people is a lot of work. It's, it was fun and, uh, it was very fulfilling, but it's a lot of work. Well, but then the piece of information you're leaving out though, is how long did it take for that, that second, like when you put up that other 500 records, how long did it take for that to sell out? It was like a minute. It was crazy. <laughs> I never, I always imagined what it would be like to be watching like as like tickets for a popular concert go on sale. Like, you know, if like Jeff Rosenstock announces something in Brooklyn, I'm sure it's out, it's out in like a minute or something. Right. But like, I, I got to watch in real time, like something extremely sought after sell out and it was chaos. It's like immediately, as soon as you hit the button, it's like things are in people's cart and it shows them as held and there's that many sold. It was just crazy. Um, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy day, a couple of days. <laughs> so you have that, that's like, um, you know, the kill Lincoln thing, like you already said, that was, that, that was better than you anticipated. And then this, the Scott against racism, that was probably way more, way more than you expected. Yeah. A ton. And then you get, then there's like this, this in-depth article about the state of Scott and you are one of the main parties, you know, kind of at the center of it in this article. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is like, you know, three punches like that, you know, this going uphill, like this, this thing, this thing is like, maybe there's momentum here. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like that, but at the time, and it's still hard to do this, but I didn't attribute it to be like bad times working. I attributed it to, um, I'm very, very lucky to be in this position. Like mm -hmm. I'm lucky that, um, people still cared about kill Lincoln, you know, <laughs> um, even though we hadn't put out like new music, it was like seven years between those records. I felt very lucky to get connected, um, with the whole Sky against racism project, um, and to be able to work on it. And, um, you know, and that we actually did something really important, you know, during a time of like crisis for our, our world. Um, it was like, not just to be involved with like the selling of records, but like to be involved with that, that message um, and getting that out there. Um, I was, you know, you, I think we all felt this urge to like do something, you know, to put some message out there and, and stand together. And um, this just was like such a great meaningful way to do it. And hopefully the message resonated and it's, you know, not just people trying to put their records up on discogs or something like that. I was really, um, excited about that and how well it was received because um i know mike park has uh, mixed feelings about the legacy of ska against racism yeah um which i i feel personally it was a net positive i kind of understand some of his criticisms about it but i feel like 2020 ska against racism comp was probably you know a lot less of a mixed feeling it was i think it was targeted correctly uh it was messaged correctly and it was received in a, in a really positive way yeah, an overwhelmingly positive, but I can, you know, I, I think we only talked briefly about his, you know, his, his adverse feelings to the original Sky Against Racism tour. Um, but, uh, you know, I've heard him talk about it and I can imagine that being so close to something like that and really getting all of the feedback and seeing all of the people and how they're reacting, um, you're gonna get some bad stuff in there and the bad stuff always stick like to me personally the bad stuff always sticks out so much heavier than any good stuff like you know one bad comment wipes away like 200 good comments <laughs> like every time his criticism of it wasn't that it was more just he kind of watched it and felt like maybe 
it wasn't there wasn't enough activism that the yeah. people you know that it was just bands having fun people having fun yep. that it was more of a slogan it you know it wasn't so much yeah. a movement i guess and um yeah whereas it seems to me from my point of view of watching things in 2020 it was like there were very specific things happening in society and this was sort of positioned as a a reaction or a, a addressing it and then raising money and then you know giving it to these very specific organizations very it seemed very I feel like there was a lot less gray area a lot less muddiness about maybe in those areas that he was concerned about it being like you know the point of it being lost i don't feel like the point of it was lost yeah I, and i i would agree with you i do think that we all did kind of stick to the i mean the one the the best thing about it is that you know almost every song on the compilation is actually about like not necessarily racism, but it's about some sort of inequality or, um, you know, writing social wrong. Um, you know, you've got like mustard plug writing a new track, unite and fight, or you've got Jer, you know, doing the, the breaking news, local punk denies existence yeah. of systemic racism, <laughs> which is a, such a great song, long title, but great song, um, <laughs> which that gave me some trouble doing the design of the back of the jacket. But anyway, um, great, great, great track. So yeah, everybody like not only contributed, but they contributed songs that were like, you know, right for the moment. And I thought that was, and and we didn't even make that a requirement. Yeah, they just kind of, people put two and two together pretty well. Yeah, that's what really blew my mind when I, listen to the whole thing like all together when i was like kind of piecing it together trying to do like the track order it was just like i was like wow actually everybody's like on on message here it's crazy so so that's a really satisfying thing that that happened oh yeah and so um you mentioned already though that uh you guys covered skank and pickle you guys covered the song yeah. david duke is running for president and yep. that's a weird one because mm -hmm. when the, when mike wrote that song uh in the 90s like mid 90s or 94 or something like that. Mm -hmm. David Duke, uh, you know, a Klansman yep. was running for president. He didn't really, I don't think he, you know, really stood a chance, but it was very um, upsetting at the time that mm -hmm. anyone would vote for somebody who was a Klansman. Right. Yep. So he wrote that song and you guys covered it in 2020 and it's really bizarre and kind of sad that it made sense because he's still yeah. a relevant figure. Yep. You know, yeah, it's it's very strange. It, um, yeah, it was upsetting that it made a little bit of sense. Um, I just always, first of all, I just always, I love Skank and Pickle and I love that song. Like something about that song just always like, just like not the, not necessarily the lyrics, but I can get the, you know, obviously the message is important. Um, but just, I just always love that song, you know, that kind of got me hyped. So we were recording at District Recording in San Jose, which is, um, you know, Mike's studio. And we were like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we just did a Skank and Pickle cover real quick? And literally the morning before we went in, we all listened to it. We went into the studio. We practiced it once. And Ryan hit record. And that was it. We record. I think we recorded. We did two takes. And that was it. <laughs> we did our wow. overdubs. Yeah. And it was... Uh, and we also, you know, as we were, I pitched the song and as we were listening to it, we we're like, yeah, you know, like there's obviously it's not like a one-to-one -one parallel, like, cause David Duke, yeah, like you said, like he actually ran for president, like it was fucked up. Um, but yeah, to have 
a sitting president that is a little too close to comfort, you know, <laughs> being like that crazy, insane, fucked up person, you know, that that, you know, to to actually have a, a having a Klansman run for president. That yeah. was the next closest thing we could have um, <laughs> is, is what we had in 2020. But he's like, you know, he's been, or I don't know about now, but he was tweeting at the time. And yeah, yeah he was at the, was... the, um, the Unite the Right racist rally. Yep. He was like a major figure there. It was just like, yeah, he's been. Yeah, yeah he was he was like back is fucked up. Uh, one of many fucked up things of that year. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just made sense like to, to do that for fun. And um, yeah, it, it, I thought it came out pretty good. And it just seemed like a perfect fit for you know and just in like an asian man comp and then um it all kind of worked out and mike seemed to liked it which uh also blew my mind that he didn't hate it so yeah <laughs> let's um let's take a step back to uh, the beginning of uh kill lincoln um do you remember what year did kill lincoln form i think kill lincoln um i wrote the first kill lincoln song in like 2007 Oh, okay. Washington, D.C. That's always been Washington. Yeah. Yeah. As in D.C. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, 2007, Washington, D.C. What's going on um, in in Washington, D.C. with Ska? What's going on nationally, to your knowledge? Uh, So 2007, I so I had I grew up in Jersey and I had just um, gone off to college in 2006 was my freshman year of college. Um, so I went to school in DC basically because my sister went there. Um, you know, I was a little bit like checked out of my college, like choosing, (laughs) uh, like process, not checked out, but like, I don't think I was as into it as some other kids were, but I did like, you know, the school I went to, I, I was, interested in their media program and all this stuff but i went there you know because my sister was there and like you know i had some family there and it it seemed cool um and i enjoyed it the couple times i'd visited but anyway when i got there um you know i didn't know a lot about like dc's music history like i would never admit this at the time but like i really didn't i wasn't a big like follower of discord you know i wasn't a fugazi fan like i didn't really kind of get everything i knew about the pie tasters i knew the pie tasters were from dc talking about scott but um i didn't really know much about the scene and the punk scene there and i was in abandoned high school um that was that ended when i went to college so i knew i wanted to start another project what's the name of your high school band jade fire jade fire scott thanks thanks for making me admit that (laughs) is it scott though it was scott okay It was ska, but we also had like a shredding lead guitar player. He was like a like a Sabbath, like and like Zach Wild, <laughs> Ozzy kind of guy. Like awesome. He's in a bunch of bands now. He's an incredible guitar player. But he would do like solos behind his head and like play with his teeth and like do all this crazy stuff. Um, so we were like that ska band that had a really good guitar player. That was like our thing. <laughs> and and also a, and also briefly a keytar. We had a keytar for a while. Yeah, yeah that needs to come back you played b- bass in that band i played bass and sang yeah yeah um but anyway <laughs> that wait band... so yeah <laughs> one second why one more sure. question about this jade fire are there are there recordings and or merchandise 
there there was merchandise yeah i don't have i have a bin of like old shirts but um there are recordings somewhere all our recordings were hosted on like myspace and pure volume so i don't think they i don't think they actually exist on the internet anymore um but there's some videos on like youtube and stuff um yeah it exists but no merch i'll try to find you something adam i'll find you something so I knew that my high school band Jade Fire was over <laughs> because I was in a different city, you know, and and at that time, uh, at that time, three hours away seemed like, oh, this is an irreparable distance. We can't bridge this. This we can't do this anymore. Um, so I wanted to start a new band, and I had been writing songs. I like briefly did like a little solo thing. I I never really released. I released like two tracks on MySpace, but I. I didn't really um, have any aspirations with that. Um, so I, it took me a little while to get a band together because like nobody, I couldn't find anyone that liked ska. Like I had some friends who kind <laughs> of liked alternative music, but I couldn't even find like punk friends. You know, I had one punk friend, my buddy Alex, um, who was like, yeah, man, like I love, like he was into like Op Ivy and um he was into like minor threat and bad brains and you know he was he was like my one punk friend at school um but he didn't play an instrument so i was like all right well i got to keep i got to keep looking so when you were trying to find ska musicians to play with or people who like ska mm-hmm. did you understand like did it make sense like yeah i get it people don't like ska right now or were you like what's going on why doesn't anyone like ska well i got it because <laughs> i played ska all through high school aaron so i knew that people didn't like ska <laughs> i was i was acutely aware um that of people's mixed reaction to ska so it didn't surprise me i'd played my fair share of like punk shows where nobody liked us because we were the ska band and hardcore shows where people didn't like us because we were the ska band except we had the cool guitar player um like we had played all kind of mixed bills in jersey so like we tried to act tough, but we were the ska band. What was the worst experience you had of that category or even comment? If there's, if there's one exists, <laughs> I had a, I had a, um, I don't think this was because we were a ska band, but we were playing this via VFW and this guy from another band came up to me with my band CD and snapped it in front of my face (laughs) (laughs) and and walked away. (laughs) Um, What a review. uh, Yeah. um, That sucked. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just aside from that, it was, it was just like a lot of like awkwardness, you know, like we were just like awkward high schoolers trying to play, scon like we played some covers and stuff too and i knew like we were kind of dorky and yeah it was just tough so i knew that people you know that real punks didn't like ska i knew that and i didn't know that it, dc had like the realest of the real punks like quote unquote um once we, i did form killing so i i met my <laughs> i met our trombone player matt hotez um my sophomore year of college and it was like uh, I don't know. It was like the clouds parted and like a bright light shined down. And like, here's this like short metalhead kid that plays trombone and like loves metal and ska and punk and all this weird stuff. And I was like, holy shit, we got to hang out. We got to write music. Like, and that's what we did. We would just like sit around and, and, and write. And um, yeah, so that was really the start me and Hotez. And then I found, um, I was like, all right, next we need a drummer. I was a member of the Streetlight Manifesto message board. 
And I think I posted like, Hey, I need a drummer. I'm in DC. And I got a response from Tyler Rogers, um, who is, uh, Killington's drummer to this day. Um, so we found Tyler and, and from there we went through a couple bass players and a, a trumpet player for a minute an alto sax player for a while. Um, there were a lot of, uh, different people in kill Lincoln for a while, but yeah, that's how, that's how it, it started. And, um, you know, trying to book shows in DC, like I would see like house shows happening and I would see shows happening at, uh, the Mitchell theater, like bomb the music industry came through at the Mitchell theater, which was on our school's campus. And I was like, wow, like we practice right there. Like we should be able to get on this show. We're a ska band. And of course, like nobody will return a message. No one will return an email or a phone call. Like nobody wants to talk to us. I couldn't get booked on any house shows. I would get messages ignored or I would get a message that was like, Oh, sorry. Show's booked up. Oh, sorry. Show's booked up. Sorry. Not the right band for this. Uh, like we wound up having to play a lot of like bar gigs with reggae bands um, because those were just <laughs> the only bands that would not like recoil at the fact that we were a ska band. Even though you were playing like this punk punk ska. <laughs> yeah, we would do the, but we would do like hour and a half sets. Cause like those were the kinds of gigs we were getting booked on. It was nuts. It was really silly. We would just like pull out all kinds of dumb covers and like try to get through it. Did you ever play the same song twice? Oh yeah, we did. We did play the same song twice. Okay, what worst cover you did? Um, what did we? What what kind of covers did we do in Kill Lincoln? We played. Well, we did like, uh, we did like Ghost of Me and You, Less Than Jake. We did. Um, what's that? Um, we did Kiss Me Deadly, <laughs> like the real big <laughs> fish version. Um, <laughs> we did the Slackers version of Misfits' Attitude. Um, just because we liked that a lot and we're like, oh, we can just kind of jam on this for a long time and like do like horn solos or something. Um, I don't remember what else we did, but yeah, that was like a weird time in Kill Lincoln when we were trying to fill sets with like covers and stuff. It was short-lived and weird. Uh, but yeah, it was hard to book shows with like the real punk scene because they, it was very, to, at least to an outsider, very insular, like very, um, I don't know, like, kind of a super cool kid scene um like even going to shows like if i didn't know anybody it was like hard to like figure out like what to do so yeah it was weird, it was a weird we'll be right back after this BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So your first record, um, you were you were there, mm-hmm. comes out in 2011, and you just self-release it, right? Yep. So even though you know it's you obviously are young, it's a little rough around the edges, but uh, you've, it sounds like Kill Lincoln today. Like I can hear the same. It's the same band, same influences. Essentially, you know, the songwriting is similar. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, it's interesting that you know you kind of had your idea for the band seemed to form right up front, like who Kill Lincoln was and what Kill Lincoln sounded like. I mean, I think, um, I mean, those like probably speak to the bands that I was just trying to copy. Right. Or like my, my influences, like I really love the boss tones. Um, I, but I also loved like pop punk bands. Like I was really into like set your goals and, um, you know, my cousin Rob would get me into like, hardcore bands and pop punk bands. And, you know, I, I got into um, bands from Jersey, like Lifetime. Um, you know, I got into like, you know, the Gorilla Biscuits, like stuff like that. And I never thought I was like cool enough to just like actually play actual hardcore. So I was like, oh, I'll play more like approachable pop punk ska with like occasional breakdowns, like trying to be heavy. Cause I really like heavy bands too, like bands like Folly. Um, you know, I really wished i could be heavy but like my my voice can't like scream like that honestly um and i just was always suited to like pop punk kind of vocals so that's kind of where my writing style went you can definitely hear the the lifetime influence in in the killing and yeah i think that I, i'd like to think that like like lifetime's one of my favorite bands and like any band that like dan yemen's in like like kid dynamite um you know paint it black like i love all those bands there's just something about that writing style that like the riffs themselves are just so entertaining to me and fun to play i've always wanted to write stuff that was fun to play live Mm -hmm. like i just want it to like feel good as i'm playing it and be able to like go nuts to it like that's always been my goal um so I, and I, I'd like to think that like that influence comes out a little stronger in our more recent stuff like i didn't really know how to do it on the first record, but like now I'm like really channeling like that kind of stuff. And like, I kind of know, I know why I like the things I like now. And I'm able to like channel that a little bit better into like our current stuff. So at what point did you start to become aware of ska punk bands that were, you know, formed after the nineties, like you and that were out there, you know, grinding as well, you know, this, the sort of scene that occurs in the 2010s? Like where, when did you start to plug into that? And and who were some of the bands that you connected with? Well, I mean, like to go back even a little bit further, like I started going to shows, you know, in the, in the two thousands, right? Like the early two thousands. And so I was immediately aware of the idea of not just the local scene, but like your regional bands that were old enough and, I don't know, smart enough to like tour regionally. So we would get some bands that would come around. Like I got to see um, Fatter Than Albert, which is like, um, you know, Greg's band, uh, Greg and D-Ray's band from Bad Operation, um, like way back in the day. Uh, bands like the Flaming Tsunamis, um, 
you know, who weren't from Jersey, but were from, I think they're from Connecticut. I don't know, but I, I got to see them a lot. Um, so bands like that, you know, like from Georgia, like the know-how, um, Tree Fort, who I like loved for a minute and then they got really weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. But the first, we, my band, my high school band played with Tree Fort at this place in Jersey and this tiny venue. And I feel like I was the only person in the audience. It was like me and two members from my band. And they had their trombone player and he was just like going nuts. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. But yeah, then it got a little weird when they started lighting their private parts on fire. Hey, Adam, did Narboots play with Tree Fort once? We did. And it was it was really uncomfortable. Yeah, because I what I remember is like the singer the whole time he's like, oh, hello, liberal California. You think you're so liberal, but really, <laughs> you know, and it was like a 25 yeah. minute speech about yeah. how we weren't as liberal as we think we are. That's that's how I remember it. <laughs> Peppered in with some really colorful language. He was also wearing like a like a frog hat, like a like a you would put on like a dog. So like the top of his head looked like a frog, and he was wearing sunglasses, and he was yelling all this insane shit. But here's the thing, also though, is um, Tree Fort played my 22nd birthday in Atlanta. Yeah, and they brought me up on stage. I have a nice picture of me and Lee on stage wow. singing "Me Happy Birthday." That's pretty funny. I, the funny part about his lecture about liberal California was that it was a show in Stockton. Yeah. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm going like, we're in Stockton. This is not like the most liberal California city. Yeah. Well, that's like his shtick. It's like, he's being like tug in cheek and trying yeah. to be provocative. And like, yeah, kind of, I, that's so funny that Narboots played with tree Fork Cause that's like, yeah, that just makes sense to me. In a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So who, who else, who else were these uh, ska bands that you were seeing? Yeah. So, so those were bands that I was seeing like in high school, but then when I started playing with kill Lincoln, like, you know, we would want to do little weekend tours. So we would go, we'd go and play in New Jersey. We'd play in New York and like in New Jersey, I think right away, one of the first bands we ever played with was the best of the worst, either the best of the worst or no such noise. Um, cause the best of the worst they formed in like, you know, like 2005 or something like, and they, before that I knew Stiffy and Cheech from, uh, their older bands kid go home. Um, and then there was another band. I forget what they're called at the moment. Oh, and oh, awful, awful, of course. Um, but I knew, so I knew them. And then when I realized that they were in the best of the worst, I was like, Oh shit. Like we know each other. Um, so we played, you know, like one of our first Jersey shows was in a new Brunswick basement with the best of the worst. And like watching them, I was blown away. I was like, Holy fucking shit. This band is so good because they tapped into that, like, that Jersey hardcore metalcore ska blend that I'd always kind of wanted to play myself, but was never talented enough. Um, like they were able to do like the folly thing. Um, but like add horns and add a little bit more ska. Like it was so crazy to me. Um, every time kill Lincoln watches the best of the worst, we all like hurt ourselves from, from dancing and moshing. <laughs> like we like literally, <laughs> literally injure ourselves. Cause we just like love, like love watching that band um so they were one of the first bands we played with and then yeah no such noise who were like such a tight like pop punk ska band like a really polished kind of band but they sound that good live like they just they can really nail it like they're just super super talented um and then we you know we'd go up to like um rhode island or we'd go up to like connecticut what's the band we play with in connecticut we played with like Jimmy Doyle had a band for a minute that wasn't the fat. Oh, it was Jimmy Doyle and the engineers. Like we played with them. Um, who else was up there? I don't know. But then, you know, we would, we would put on a lot of shows. We would wind up 
I think I met the most bands from hosting shows in DC. So I would start to get hit up by bands like, um, like Brunt of It or um, Still Alive. You know, they'd be like, hey, we're coming through. Like, can you set us up? And I'd be like, yeah, of course. So most of the shows we set up were at a place um, called Casa Fiesta. Um, there was like a, a year and a half long period where this Mexican restaurant would let any kid who like who wanted to like pay like 50 bucks set up a show on their upstairs level. So it was like a two floor Mexican restaurant. So you could just like, there was like a, I'd call it a PA, but it wasn't a PA. It was like a random assemblage of just like equipment, like barely (laughs) resembling a PA that like may or may not work on any given night and may or may not give out on any given band, which happened all the time. Um, but yeah, we would just start, we could put on shows there anytime we wanted. So there was a stretch where we would just do these like killer shows with out of town bands, um, like pretty regularly. Um, and that's how I met a lot of people and made a lot of friends. And, um, we had to stop doing shows at Casa Fiesta when ceiling tiles started falling on the restaurant folk below. Um, and they were like, yeah, you can't do that anymore. And now I think that place doesn't exist anymore. I think it's gone. (laughs) Um, sadly, but I mean, yeah. how much, how much that have been like sitting there having a meal? <laughs> uh, you couldn't, you could not sit there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can hear a punk band playing like punk bands playing upstairs and people jumping up and down Adam ska band. Yeah. Ska bands. And then, <laughs> and then a ceiling tile falls on your table right into your food. Yeah. But before you played, you could eat nachos and, and, have a margarita or two which was kind of amazing there was another mexican restaurant in in the dc area that also put on shows they were called chapalas um i played there with the we are the union uh to zero people it was awesome (laughs) so in the in the 2010s um pre bad time Mm -hmm. uh records you know you all all you guys the bands you're talking about you guys are friends you guys are playing together is there any overlap between the older bands that are still playing or doing reunions and your guys' scene, like Less Than Jake or Real Big Fish or any of these bands? Are... There there was overlap in that we would try desperately to get on their shows when they came to town, like any of us. Yeah, I think like We Are The Union was able to like get on the Ska's Dead Young Guns tour. So I think they did that with like Green Room Rockers. And I think there was like, maybe a headline like another headliner on that um but yeah there wasn't like any touring actually happening with with the bigger bands for most of us um but yeah anytime like you know i'd see a show get announced at rock and roll hotel i was like all right big d's opening and is playing and there's no openers like let me hit up the promoter you know which i'm sure like every local band does and i'm sure i was super annoying but i i was just annoying for a while like to promoters i I just would just annoy the heck out of them. And we got, we landed some of those shows and it was, uh, it was great when we could get them. Who are some of the bigger bands that kill Lincoln got to open for? We've opened for a ton of bands. We, we opened for, we got to open for real big fish, um, a couple times early on in the band's history. And they would play this, like, um, this big outdoor sound power plant live in Baltimore. It's like a huge outdoor area, um, which could fit like a couple thousand people. And I think like, we got to play there in like 2012 with them. And I was like, Oh my God, we're not ready for this. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. So we did that a couple times. We did that like two or three times. 
And then um, we got to open for Less Than Jake when they came to the Rock and Roll Hotel, which um, doesn't exist anymore, but it was like a 400 cap room. And it was like an instantly sold out show. Um, so, and that was awesome. Um, you know, we opened for, for Big D a couple times. Uh, we got to open for Fishbone in Baltimore. Um, it nice. was, it was incredible. Yeah. And like, I was sort of like starstruck, um, and not even like, <laughs> I don't know. I just wish like, this was also really early on in Kill Lincoln. And I wish I could go back now and just sort of like soak it up a little bit more. Um, but it was still an incredible experience. Um, so, so yeah, we got, we got to play with some, some pretty big bands. So your second and third record were, um, released on jumpstart records. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about, um, who they were and how you connected with them. Yeah. So after we did our first record, um, because I didn't understand how it really works with a record label at all. Um, I would just fill manila envelopes with our cd our finished album and i would just send it to labels like i would send it like any label i could find on the internet that i could find an address for i would like stencil this thing on a manila envelope i would stuff it with like a letter and like stickers and our cd be like hey like we're looking for a label like you know let me know if you like this i don't know what i said um but i sent it out to a lot of places I remember cause I, I made a lot of stencils. Um, and <laughs> first of all, one of the only, I tell this story a lot, but one of the only people uh, that got back to me was Mike Park. He sent me an email, uh, which means that he had to look at my letter and had to type in my email address, uh, on his computer, which to me was like, wow, that actually takes a little bit of effort. So like, that's <laughs> cool that he did that. Like, I know it's silly, but like, yeah, I'm sure he got tons of those. So that's super cool that he did that. Um, so he responded. He was like, no, hey, thanks for sending. It's not right. I'm looking. He said, I'm looking for more traditional ska right now. Oh. Um, oddly enough. Um, I wonder if you found it. Yeah. Um, Mike, anyway, did you find the traditional ska? <laughs> let us know <laughs> if you ever found it. Um, but yeah, so he emailed me and I really appreciated that. And that that's sort of stuck that sticks with me. Um, and it, it was really meaningful just to know that somebody I cared about was like, I got your thing. I, you exist. Like here's like validation that you exist and are not a ghost. Um, but anyway, where jumpstart comes in is I did send a, a packet to jumpstart and I didn't hear back from them, but then our then trombone player, Alan Moore, um, went to either he went to college with, with Jeremy at jumpstart or he was a friend of a friend, something like that. It was always like a weird relationship. Um, he knew Jeremy from jumpstart. He kind of prodded him and was like, Hey, we sent you a demo. What did you think? And that prompted Jeremy to reach out and be like, Hey, yeah, this is good. Um, do you have new stuff? And we we're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's get some new stuff together. So we got some new songs tracked. We sent them over and Jeremy was like, yeah, I'll put this out. Um, sounds good. So we were like blown away that a label um, and like Jumpstart, I think the thing that got me with Jumpstart was they put out a Wilhelm Scream record and I was like, holy shit, like label mates with Wilhelm Scream. <laughs> like, I, was, I was like, I was so stoked on that. Um, and yeah, and, and that, that was cool. Like um, Kevin Day at Jumpstart was super, super helpful. He, he did a lot of like the day-to-day -day help with us and, um, you know, he's still a good friend to this day. And, um, yeah, you know, there are ups and downs. Like we didn't know what to expect from a label. Um, 
like I didn't know what to ask about putting out a record. I didn't know what to ask for. Um, I was just kind of like, cool, this is what we do now. And I learned a lot just by, um, you know, being on a label for a little while. It taught me a lot. Jumpstart, I looked it up earlier, and uh, their first thing they released is a 7-inch for Planet Smashers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fun yeah, fact. That, ga- that yeah. gave them the ska cred. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And that's also another thing that I think was the reason why I sent them a demo in the first place. I was like, anybody who's ever touched ska, like you're getting a Kill Lincoln demo. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It made sense. So you, the last record you put out before you started Bad Time Records was um, Good Riddance, and that was in 2015. That's right. Yep. Got a CD release on Jumpstart. Okay. So when did you move to California? In 2015. Oh, okay. So right after you released it? So we put out that record. It came out in March. Uh, I think it came out in March. And then I left my job in like February or something. No, I left my job in March. And then we went on like like a 23-day tour or something for the record. And then I moved to California. Like we did like a big tour and it was like, in our heads, it was kind of going to be like a farewell tour, but we weren't really sure. Like we were just calling it a hiatus because we didn't know if we were going to break up or what. So it was like an album release, like EP release slash hiatus tour. And what what brought you to sunny California? <laughs> Good question. Uh, clearly all the ska. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I heard you guys lived here. So, um, well, we had lived, me and my wife had lived in DC for a long time like 10 years after college. And, um, we were just kind of like at a standstill with like our jobs. Um, just sort of like everything. We felt like we needed a move in our life. And, um, it turned out that my family had, um, by way of a couple other places all wound up out in the Bay area. So we were like, well, you know, we, we visited a couple times, like Oakland seems cool and hip. Like, why don't we give that a shot? You know, there, and also there's like a lot of work out here. Um, so we kind of like, we drove out here. I, I bought the, I bought the kill Lincoln van from the band. We filled it up with, uh, me and Zelina's stuff. And we took like three weeks. We did another tour, um, where we drove across the country and we just kind of like stopped in cities along the way and made it out, uh, to California. And we lived with my sister for a couple months while we like found jobs and found an apartment. Um, so yeah, we kind of moved out here to like, cause we wanted to move and we're like, oh, well I've got some family. Like we should, we should move out there. We should give it a try. And so did you move to Oakland originally? Yeah, we lived in Oakland, um, for like three years. Uh, wow. What neighborhood? We were right in between Mosswood Park and one, two, three, four, go. Okay. Uh, so like, yeah, being like three blocks from one, two, three, four, go was so dangerous. <laughs> it's like, I was there a lot. Like I actually did like record store days at one, two, three, four, go. Cause I was like, well, you know, everybody's like lining up around the block and I can just like get out of bed and like get in line. Um, like I could grab coffee and get in line for record store day. So that's what I did. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was great living there. And so you moved to Alameda, which is the home of Adam Davis. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure did. Yeah, that's what they call it. It's on the sign, the home of Adam Davis. Wait, but wait, what what years were you living in Oakland? I was in Oakland from, I'm so bad with keeping track of years, but I was there, I think from 2015 to 2018. Okay. So I was all, I was already in Alameda then. Yeah. Yeah. You were, I don't think you were here. I so would have known, obviously. I mean, <laughs> what brought you to Alameda? Um, rent. <laughs> rent was cheaper. Well, rent was, it was, you would get more, uh, for what you would ah, pay in Alameda. Yeah. Initially Alameda. Yeah. was definitely cheaper than Oakland and, and you could get a yeah. better spot for the amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were in a tiny apartment in Oakland and paying like way too much for it in that in that area. Um, so like to pay the same amount of rent, we could have we had like the whole top floor of a house, um, you know, in a yard and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so that's why we need Alameda. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Okay, so it's 2018. You just moved to Alameda. Adam had just moved there somewhat recently, too. No, I I, I moved to Alameda in 2000. Let's see, 2010. Yeah, yeah that's right. You've been there forever. I should know this. <laughs> How dare you not know? <laughs> no, I do know that. Um, so what? Ha- so what's the next thing that happened? Is the next starting Bad Time Records or meeting Adam? <laughs> <laughs> Bad Time Records came first, I think. Okay. Uh, it definitely came first. Yeah. Had you started Bad Time before the 20th anniversary of Asian Man? Oh, what year was that? Because I started Bad Time in 2018. I was, that's where we, oh, that's 2016 right. 2016 was 20. Yeah. So we met at that. So, yeah. no. So I met you first. Oh. Like you were like, this was like moments before a Narboot set. And you like, you were in a zone, Adam, which I understand. Right. Well, uh, and it was also, we had, <laughs> we had Brent playing drums for us. Yeah. Br- yeah. Brent. Has, still has never even seen Narboots. He's just been in Narboots. Yeah. <laughs> we also had two smoke machines that we set off at full blast for the entire set in the park side, which is very small. I feel like I've never seen Narboots then. Like it was so smoky. In there. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a, another guy that was dancing around in a squirrel costume. Yeah. Um, and some other chaos happening. And so, you know, trying to coordinate all the craziness at like, what was it like noon? Yeah, it was very. It was too early. Yeah, way too. Early. It was way too early for the shenanigans we were about to get up to. Okay, so so you approached Adam and you said, "What? Hey, I'm, I just want to say I'm a huge fan." This is yeah. <laughs> Please tell me where you live so I can move there. Uh, well, Brent introduced us. Like yeah. I knew Brent from touring with uh, Brent's older band, um, and like yeah, we had just done a lot of touring together and um, knew each other, and yeah, he introduced me to adam and um i see then then my first you know within moments of meeting adam i got to see narboots so that really told me a lot about what i needed to know were you too <laughs> were you too nervous to meet me yeah i think i was i mean i didn't i aaron i'm very shy like i'm not like a super extroverted like um like talkative 
person, like in social situations where I don't know people. So don't be insulted that you did, that I didn't say hi or anything. I I wasn't saying hi to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm insulted a little. Well, bit. and and Aaron, you're you're you were definitely so approachable at Narboot shows. Oh yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. Everyone <laughs> was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so okay, so we've established when you first met Adam. Sure. Yes. And now you moved to Alameda, and then okay, so you got you get this you get this idea in your head. You think back to the Kill Lincoln video that you made a few years earlier where there's a board meeting and everybody's talking about ska bucks. Yep. You think back to that moment and you're like, that's it. That's, that's it. My, right? Is that how it happens? That's exactly how it happened. I was like, <laughs> wait a second. There's all this ska money out there just waiting to be scooped up. No, I mean, I think honestly what what enabled the idea of starting a record label was moving out of my tiny apartment because like and it sounds weird but like i never could have pictured doing what i'm doing now in like a tiny one bedroom apartment sure like all the stuff like getting pallets of shipping like supplies and records and boxes and all this stuff like i couldn't i literally could not have done that so like i was finally in a bigger place like we were in the top floor of this house and like we actually had an extra room. We had a two bedroom. So there was a whole room that was like, wow, office kind of, uh, quote unquote, um, really just storage, to be honest. Um, so things had been going well with Kill Lincoln. Like we had been staying in touch. And I think like the distance was actually making us like a little bit closer and kind of like renewing our interest in the band uh, in a lot of ways. And um I wanted to re-release Good Riddance to Good Advice, um, that 2015 EP, but I wanted to give it like a proper vinyl release. It didn't get released on vinyl the first time. So I was like, I want to do this. We're planning some shows. Like, I think it'll be cool. Like, let's do it. I've never pressed my own vinyl. So, um, yeah, I said, well, why, why stop there? Like I had a lot of conversations with my wife about it and like, just like kicking ideas around. And, um, I was like, yeah, well, why don't I start a label? Like, why? Because I had all these friends. I'd met all these bands, you know, that we were just talking about. And I knew there was, like, I knew I didn't have the records in front of me at the moment, but I knew that they were out there. Like, even if I was going to put out, like, existing records, like, I would repress, like, an old The Best of the Worst record on vinyl or something. Like, that's how much I love those records. Like, I knew that it would it would come um, if I just sort of, like, kept in touch with everybody and kind of, like, did some digging. So I figured, yeah, why don't I start, you know, not just launch um, this vinyl release, but launch the label. Um, so that's what I did um, with that with that record. So you reissued the um, Good Riddance first, and then you reissued uh, We Are the Union record next, right? Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it was the Good Riddance first. Yep. Which We Are the Union record was it? It was Who We Are. Who We Are. Which is the, their first record. Yep. Okay. So then the next record you release is the very first band the very first new album yes and who was that band it's cat bite wow <laughs> yeah so did you know them from back in the day or is this a new acquaintance i was pretty close with tim and i had been for a long time um tim was in a band called the snails and um kill lincoln just wound up playing with the snails a lot because there weren't a ton of tri-state ska bands and I mean, there were plenty, but not a lot that would want to play with ska punk bands. And the Snails were not a ska punk band, but like Tim was super nice and was doing all their booking. 
and was like, yeah, like I'll help you set up a show in Philly. Will you help us out in DC? And I was like, yeah. So we do show trades and like, we weren't like a perfect fit, but we were both playing ska and it was a lot of fun. Um, so I knew Tim from all those shows we did together. Um, and then actually, so, um, me and my wife got married in 2016 and we knew like we got married at my uncle's house in Hillsborough, New Jersey. And we knew that for at least part of the wedding, we wanted like, we wanted a band, but like, not just like a wedding band. Like we wanted like a real band like that. We both liked. <laughs> so I asked, um, Tim if the snails would play at our wedding. So they did. And they came and they learned like, you know, a couple of songs that we wanted them to learn. They learned some songs off of, um, Tim Armstrong's solo record, a poet's life. Cause like me and my wow. wife, that's like one of our favorite records together. Um, they did like a jam cover. We did like a bouncing souls cover together. Um, yeah, it was awesome. So, so Tim, uh, was at my wedding, um, as were the rest of the snails. And, uh, I think they overstayed their, there's like some story that they overstayed their welcome <laughs> because we like, we like, there was like a ton of extra booze that we like just kind of gave to them and they were just like kind of hanging out. And uh, like my uncle had to like come and chase them off the property or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the whole story because I was long gone. But like, there's some story there. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I so I knew Tim for a while, and um, we were like Facebook friends and all that. And I saw like you know probably like a couple weeks after I announced the label, he posted. He's like, "Hey, here's my new band, Catbite. Like, here's like a cover. I think it was the Little Richard cover." Um, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this is so good. I was like, wow. Like it's sort of like the snails, but not at all. It's like more like garage punky. Like I just loved it. So I hit him up and I was like, Hey, like what's the deal with your band? Like, are you making an album? And he was like, yeah, you know, we're kind of working on some stuff. And yeah, I was like, well, send it to me. Like, I'd love to like put out your record. Like I didn't even, I, I heard like two songs and they were covers. And I was like, I want to work with you. Like it's perfect. And, um, Tim was down. Like we had a couple conversations about it and I got to talk to and meet Brittany and, and the rest of the band. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how it happened. Um, wow. we just knew each other and, and went from there and he trusted me. Like, you know, I, I didn't have any track record and he was like, yeah, cool. I hope you know what you're doing. And, um, you know, we, we did okay. <laughs> so my, my first awareness of bad time records was the shape of Scott punk to come. Mm hmm. Except that I didn't know, I didn't know Bad Time Records. I just was aware of the record and I liked that record. It wasn't until later that I like did the math and I was like, oh, that's also Bad Time Records. I didn't, oh, okay. That's so cool. I didn't, that's, I've never heard of someone discovering the label through that comp and I love, I love that. <laughs> well, there's a couple of things I like about it and it caught my attention at the time. The first one is that I just, I don't know, like comps were such a big deal back in the day, but I didn't feel like they were that. I don't know. I didn't feel like people did comps that all that with all that much consideration these days. Like they just threw stuff on there. Sure. Right. And yeah. you and shape of Scott punk to come felt like it was well curated and like cherry picked good bands and good songs. So that definitely caught my attention. Yeah. And then the name, uh, which is, yeah. uh, you know, that's a reference to an Ornette Coleman record. Yeah. The shape of jazz to come. Yep. And that caught my attention too. That's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's well, a, that's pretty cool. Well, the direct rip is right. Oh, like, yeah. So it's the refused rip. Oh, that's refused right. Yeah, yeah. Rip that from Ornette Coleman. Like, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And I, and I knew that. And actually like I, I do, I, I, I'm like one of these people who like, 
yeah, I'll listen to punk and stuff during the day, but at night, like I'll put on jazz, but not Ornette Coleman. Cause like, you can't just like chill to free jazz, but like <laughs> I, I like jazz and like, I like listening to jazz and actually food, uh, Matt Ellis, sax player and Kill Lincoln is like a huge jazz buff. And like, we talk like, or I listen while he talks about jazz most of the time. Um, but anyway, like, so I wanted to specifically parody the refused album because I felt like in the Kill Lincoln van, one of our members always liked to listen to the shape of punk to come. They always put on that record. And I like, at first I really liked it, but then it got so overplayed in the van that I was like, man, like fuck this record. Like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. <laughs> and like, it seemed so like, and like the artwork like seemed so revered and it was so like this yeah. and that. So when I was like thinking of comp ideas, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if it was instead of the shape of punk to come, it was the shape of ska punk to come. And I just ripped off that art. So I, I just thought it was really funny and I thought it would make people mad, um, which I think it has made some, like, I'll definitely get comments or I got comments at the time that were like, Oh, you just ripped off. You just copied refused. Like, how dare you? It's like, yeah, that's the point. It's like a joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that was like the point. I just thought it would be funny and kind of like, I don't know, kind of make people a little mad. Um, but the point of that comp definitely was like, you were saying like, I was a little bummed out by comps and like, there were so many, like, 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 I guess they're still cop popular, but like, just like band camp comps where they'll just like throw a bunch of stuff together. And like, yeah, I, I respect, I so respect that people are trying to do something like just to have the, like, just to like manifest a thing and put it together is like a challenge and is like something to be celebrated at the same time. Like, when you just, when you put a hundred bands on a comp, it's like, I don't think anybody's really listening to all hundred bands and digesting them. Yeah. And also you're going to let some things through that. Like you like probably aren't crazy about, like you have to, there's no way you like a hundred different like bands tracks on a comp. Like that's impossible. Like if you're honest with yourself. Um, but so that was like kind of bumming me out. And then, yeah, just, comps meant so much to me like like curated comps like when i was younger like like misfits of ska was hugely influential to me um when i was first getting into ska and getting into asian man records um like the plea for peace comps were like a big deal to me um i i just knew that if i was doing a label i had to do a comp like early on and um yeah it was like it was a process getting new tracks from all all these bands that i liked and knew but um it came together like more quickly than I thought it would. Yeah, because I, I agree. Like the point of a compilation is to curate. And the point of curating is to say, like, it's either going to say, like, these are all really good tracks or it's is a there's a theme, you know, yeah. like because back in the day they were like often regional. It was like, here's all the New York bands, you know. Yeah. Maybe they weren't all good, but at least it was like you're getting a taste of a specific theme. And that's the point of buying it, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Other, if it's just random stuff and some of it's good and some of it's not like, what's the point of it? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I really just wanted to show off like in one fell swoop, like get all these bands that I was like, had been friends with for years, like get them involved in something together. So I could be like right away, like bad time. Isn't just kill Lincoln and cat bite. Like it can be all of us, like all in this moment. So you know, and all in one fell swoop, we got, you know, no such noise and the best of the worst and joystick and, and Jay Navarro and the traders. Um, I was so stoked to get that track from, from Jay. I was like, 
oh my god i just to have like one of my heroes like involved in the comp in some way was amazing um so yeah just like it felt like a good way to say what the label was about and you know and and give people a chance to hear like just like all the awesome stuff that's happening in one spot okay so we're in 2019 so when do you meet adam again or become (laughs) friends with him I, i need to know this origin story uh, I mean, Adam, you would probably know what year. I don't remember. It yeah, must have been like 2019. Pr- it was 2019, I think. Um, yeah. So in, in here in Alameda, we have a gym called Bladium. They used to do a lot of um, <laughs> rollerblading there. And there's no more rollerblading, but they kept the silly name. Is that why it's called Bladium? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Look at the logo when Whoa. you when you outside the building. Look at the logo. It's, <laughs> it's a rollerblade. Um, I just thought they called it Bladium because like it's – gigantic and like badass and i'm like that just was a cool name okay yeah badass bladium bladium yeah anyhow so i i have been a pretty big fan of bladium for a couple of years now i've been going there and i started working there and one day when i was waiting to go into one of the classes um i saw a guy with an asian man records shirt on and so i being the friendly person i am i walk over and just say hey asian man records cool and uh, I was in one of those bands, and, and Mike goes, "Oh, what band?" And I was like, "Link 80. And he goes, "Uh." And I was like, <laughs> "All right, cool, nice to meet you, bud." Yeah, and keep in mind, I'm probably like on a treadmill or something too. So like, <laughs> yeah, he was he was taking a break break between like doing yeah. some sort of exercise. But he had also mentioned like, "Oh yeah, I'm in I'm in Kill Lincoln," and I was like, "Oh, right on." Like I knew Kill Lincoln through Brent. Um. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, maybe we didn't like Link 80. And so I like bounced. Well, and I forgot that we had met too. Like I just didn't, I don't know. Maybe it was like the Narboots. Like, sure. Next. Yeah. Like, I mean, also like, I was probably wearing, you know, workout clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but the, like, it's funny. You tell that story and, and it makes it sound like I didn't like Link 80, which is not true. Like I loved Link 80. Right. Um, and I, I think I was just like, caught off guard like you know your mid-workout and it's like hey i was in one of your favorite bands it's like (laughs) like kind of crazy well Um, and i I think for me coming coming from one of the ska bands that was on asian man like it there's a you know there's a good chance that you see somebody wearing an asian american shirt and they they're into asian man because of lawrence arms or or sure trio so i i didn't expect that you know that i was a ska person you would also be into ska yeah yeah, it was a gamble for sure. Yeah. yeah. But it paid off. Yeah. And then, I mean, from there, I don't know, like, because we knew each other through Brent. We probably both, like, texted Brent about him. We are like, hey, I just I just met Adam. Like, Well, I think I think what happened was a couple couple weeks later, we recorded what ended up becoming the No Faith album right. uh, with Brent. And then Brent was like, what are you going to do with these recordings? And I, mm-hmm. I had no plan. I was like, I don't know. I'll put them on Bandcamp or something. Uh-huh. And he was like, "What if? What if we see if Bad Time wants to put this album out?" I was like, "Really? Would he want to do that?" And I think at the same time, he was texting you on the other end, being like, "Hey, we just recorded a bunch of these songs. I think they're pretty good. Do you want to put it out?" And you, I think you were saying the same thing. Would he want to do that? That's Brent wheeling and dealing. Brent yeah. wheeling and dealing, <laughs> and made an Omnigon record happen. Scott, Scott, and Heppen, whatever. Heppen so, and Steppen. Yeah. <laughs> So from so from Mike from your point of view, um, were you were you on board? Did you hear the Omnigon? Were you on board with it right away, or what was your point of view? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't remember how I heard the first. I did, did you send me the the record in whole, Adam, or did you send me? I don't remember hearing demos. No, we had we had three songs up online. That's like right. On, yes, on, on Bandcamp, and so I'm sure that maybe. Yeah, I was aware of Brent. Onica. Brent might have shown you that, and then because the songs weren't even done at the time when we started talking about putting out a record. Yeah. No, I remember being aware, like, yeah, I was pointed towards your band camp. So I had heard the tracks and I was like, oh yeah, like this is like Link 80-esque, like Scott core. I was like, of course I'm interested. Like, um, I think also like to just to know that you lived nearby, I, um, I had started feeling like I was not connected like to anything local, you know? And I still kind of feel like that. Um, like I don't have like, I don't have roots in this area. So I, I sometimes feel like a, an outsider. So like to know that here's like this guy who was in one of my favorite bands, like doing a new ska punk project, like, and we live in the same town and like we could hang out and like, it it was crazy to me. It was like mind blowing. And like to hear the songs and they're like, oh yeah, it's good. Like this kicks ass. Like, yeah, it was, I was very excited about it. It did not take. I didn't take a lot of convincing. Uh, did you? Was did, were you also thinking about the fact that if you put out the record, that you might be able to get Adam to come to your house to pack records? <laughs> it was, you know, it was in my head. I was like, you know what? This is just. It's just the long con. Yeah, it's just the long yeah. con. <laughs> Adam, I think you did help pack like the initial Omnigon. I did. Yeah, I think my I actually had my kids with me, and I, I yeah, we put, them, we put them in your back room and put on some Netflix for them. I think I set him up with Nintendo and that yeah. lasted for like 10 seconds. And then they were like, we just want to watch TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was in my living room. Yep. But now we've, yeah, we've, we've upgraded since then to the, to the carport. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody. It's Barry from the what podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 these are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I want to fast forward to... Like, uh, I don't know, let's say February, March 2020. So before we were aware of a pandemic, just right before then. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like was the state of bad time, ska Mm. scene from your point of view, right right before things locked down? Yeah. What what did you, can you, can you remember that time period? That's such a good question because I acutely remember that time period because I was so excited about how things were going with, with shows. We had just gotten off of doing Skanksgiving, which, yeah, I hate saying Skanksgiving. <laughs> and in, in November 2019, it was it was Goldfinger, uh, Suicide Machines, Big D, uh, the, the Planet Smashers, Kill Lincoln, Catbite, and the Backyard Superheroes. And it was like one of the just like one of the best shows I'd ever I would have ever seen. But to be a part of it, it was just incredible. And the vibes were so good. And like the reception for Catbite was crazy. And they were still like a fresh, like new, like they were still like figuring out their live show. Like at that point, like you see Catbite now and I'm just like, damn, like they got it 
sorted out. <laughs> but like they were like figuring out they were still great, but like still like figuring out their set. Um, and it was just such like good vibes and we were all having so much fun. And um, then in February 2020, Kill Lincoln had two shows we did. We played in D.C. and then on Leap Day, we played with Real Big Fish and the Pie Tasers in Baltimore. Um, and Big D also played that show. And uh, that was another like just killer show. And I was like, oh, my God, like just every show is just knocking it out of the park. Like everything's just crazy. Everything's going great, man. I hope shows never shut down. I hope shows never stop. Uh, <laughs> was was my thought. Thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then like, it was like two weeks later, it was like, Oh, guess what? Everything's fucked. Uh, and you're not playing show. Adam, we were supposed to play show. Yeah. We had a show booked at the park side on the gun and link 80. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I have the flyer still in my fridge. The show that never happened. And that was the first show <laughs> oh. to get, that was our first show to get canceled was that show in San Francisco. Yeah. And I remember feeling like, Oh, should we try to reschedule it? And, yeah. And then we, we, just, like, we even it? talked about like, Oh, do we want to just like get a practice space and we can stream it from there? Yeah. It, it, it's it, that, that you can track how badly things decline day by day because yeah, I was almost going to get that space at, um, what's that studio? Uh, it's like the hourly rental studio. Soundwave. Soundwave. Cause they have that one room that like, it's like Rancid's practice room. It's like an actual stage with like balcony seating and it just would look super cool. So I was like, Oh, Adam, like, let's just play there and like film it. We almost did the first live stream there, but then as the days went on, Adam's like, yeah, I don't want to be in the same room with you guys. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be anywhere near you. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, Oh yeah, you're right. Like we shouldn't do that either. So, um, yeah, we almost were like proto live streamers, proto COVID live streamers. So what, from the label perspective though, were you seeing anything happening with record sales that were impressing you or was it not, was it really so much just the energy at live shows? It was the energy and like things were starting to happen. Like records were starting to kind of break even, you know, um, you know, like in a pre-sale we would sell a good number of records, but then it would still take a couple months or like if at all on some of the releases to, to break even. And, it was like starting to happen, but nothing like nothing crazy. Um, I think the first couple of releases of 2020 were, so we did like gray matter, um, which was an awesome record, but we did that with, as a split with choke artist, And he only pressed like 300 copies of that. Um, so then we did, um, it was the, it was the Omnigon cap. I split, I think was right after that. And that got people really excited, but you know, it wasn't like, if I compare it to now, it's like we put something like that on sale now and it's like, it just like sells out. It's crazy. Um, so all that didn't start happening till yeah, definitely like the end of 2020. Yeah. So let's talk about that. And that band is bad operation, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So there was a lot of energy for them in a way, yeah. even that you hadn't seen before. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Now, when did you, so you already knew Greg and D Ray and stuff from back in the day. Well, I had seen Fatter Than Albert, but I didn't know those guys. I I had a phone call with Greg once a long time ago um, where he also politely explained that he didn't want to put out Kill Lincoln's record. <laughs> 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 uh, but he was very nice about it. So <laughs> That was a funny conversation. How did the Bad Operation deal occur? Uh, whose idea was it? Uh, Greg approached me um, and, you know, we had a couple long conversations about like what the band was about. And, you know, he, he sent me the recordings and I 
I really loved it, but I was just like very curious about their whole aesthetic and, and, and everything. And, um, and actually one of the things that really hooked me was finding out that Brian from pears was in it because I love pears. I think pears are like one of my favorite bands, uh, ever. Um, so to hear, so instantly before I even heard anything, it was like, hear Brian from pears play ska, like, okay. And I knew he was in a ska band. He was in the lollies. Um, but like just to hear it renewed um, was very exciting to me. Can you recall like some of what he said to explain what the band was about and, and the aesthetic and all that? I can't. I can't remember exactly because we've had so many conversations since. Sure. Like, we, we've just spent hours and hours on Zoom and on the phone. And we finally got to hang out in person just recently at the fest, um, which was also like a very cathartic experience. But yeah, I like Greg has become um like one of my closest friends and um definitely a, a you know uh like a a great friend and and someone who's like been through it and who's done the label thing and who's done DIY for such a long time and um he always has like really good perspective on things and um he's been definitely a great person to to talk to and have as a you know a friendship through through all this. So it was his idea to do a split or, or um, a co-release as community and bad time. Yeah. And I think Greg, like he was, he was upfront that he, he wasn't really aware of bad time until the kill Lincoln release. And he said, he really appreciated how I handled like the rollout and how I had a plan, how I did all these marketing assets myself and how it had a look and it had a consistent, you know, kind of, feel to everything everything had like a like a consistent through line in terms of the art and the aesthetic and um he said he appreciated that um and you know then to see his artwork and and all the art and the aesthetic for bad operation i was super impressed like i've you know a lot of my day job um you know has been like graphic design and animation and and video editing and i've always um you know admired like um you know like a very like a very tight art concept. You know, I've always like found power in that. Um, and you see that all through, like, you know, you look at all the two-tone records, like there is a, there's an aesthetic there that's unmistakable. Like you recognize one of those records, like instantly, you know, it's black and white, but it's got like, you know, these high contrast images. It's like, you, you notice it right away. So yeah. Uh, so Greg approached me about that. He, he said he really liked the Kill Lincoln release. Um, and yeah, asked me if I wanted to do a split release with community and community records was a label that I followed and loved, um, you know, um, between flaming tsunamis and fatter than Albert. Um, I had just, and the best of the worst, actually one of their, my favorite records by them was on community. Um, yeah, I've, I've always followed them. So I was really excited to work with Greg and D-Ray. And, li- and like you said, like they had that really clear focused aesthetic too Mm -hmm. like the first time i saw them or was aware of them i think was probably the very first video teaser they released on instagram yep and i was immediately i was like who's this band yeah (laughs) i must know more about this band yep i was immediately taken with it sonically and yeah the the look that it was really cool black and white footage uh, the sort of the the background. I didn't even I didn't realize at first it was New Orleans, but sort of the the background that they were in was really cool. 
Yep. Yeah, it definitely immediately caught me. So from a label's perspective, what was what was it like? Uh, were you seeing a lot of interest the second you announced it, or was it um, did pre-sales kind of slowly roll out? And by the time the album released, it was doing good. There was there was a lot of interest as soon as we released it, like way more than than either label expected. Um, like Greg, who's been doing you know DIY label since you know he's been doing it for like almost fifteen years now, I think, and he was like, yeah, we, it's rare. Like we haven't had many releases, like do this well, like right off the bat. Um, so that was crazy to hear just to get some perspective there. Um, but yeah, people seemed immediately interested because like, first of all, the band is just fucking great. Like it's one of the, it's, it's the style that just can appeal to so many different facets of, um, of the ska world. Like it's kind of gritty and punky. So like, I think it makes the punks happy, but it's got this like two tone style that really makes like some of the old heads happy. And, and, um, you know, I call them old heads lovingly, um, you guys, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm joking, but, um, yeah, it just, I felt like it was a sound very similar to in the way that Catbite can do this, but sort of like unite those like two sects of the scene you know, the more traditional side and the more punk side. And then you throw in like this aesthetic and the message, you know, bad operations message um, was so strong. Like this message of like, you know, anti-fascism, anti-racism, anti-transphobia, like they, to actually come out and say those things in a song, I thought, you know, you, you can't just do that sometimes without it feeling a little ham fisted, but they were able to like really like, I don't know, bring that home and like do it really well. Yeah. So band operation, in my opinion, had that album come out at any point, I'm sure it would have been amazing. And I'm sure there would have been a fan base for it, but there was something about them releasing those videos in that, in the pandemic. Yeah. And the, 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 the style of the video, the, the music, the message, like you said, it really, I feel like it really resonated. It really resonated with the mood and the moment. Like it was, it had that seriousness, that kind of darkness, but it was fun and it mm-hmm. made you feel good. That that sums up like the whole quote unquote new tone ska movement. I think it's like there's like some dark shit happening. Like there's like the lyrics aren't happy. Like you've seen this meme a million times, but it's like the music, the lyrics, like the the music is, yeah, upbeat. It's fun. It's ska. Like we all still like to play and have fun. Like that's what we love to do but like the subject matter is serious like we're singing about real shit that's not imagined it, it's real situations that we are living through and that we see in our communities um so yeah it was powerful i have to shout out just uh, uh mitch wells for uh, yeah video stuff and also greg's and d-ray's vision just for the band was so crystal clear and still is um and i think that's super rare with any band to have such a clear vision of what the band is about, what the band looks and sounds like, like it's super clear and um, yeah, have to give them props for that. So in 2021, um, things have been pretty much consistently good for you, right? Like releases are all doing good on some, some there various levels of good, right? Yeah everything's everything's been great um which is like still something i'm grappling with um like that everything like does well um yeah like i never thought when i started the label i never thought i would have to figure out how to do accounting 
pattern. (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't think it would ever be a problem. Um, And now like, yeah, like it makes me so happy to be able to pay the bands for, (laughs) for their music. It's fucking crazy. And I honestly didn't expect that to be something that would maybe ever happen. So um, yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Let's talk about the rollout of um, we are the union Mm -hmm. uh, ordinary life. Yeah, and a cat bite, nice one. So we are the union came out in like uh, I want to say it was June. Yeah, I think okay. we announced it late April. It came out in June. Okay, so that got a lot of press. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. Well, I mean that record rollout was very special. I mean for a lot of reasons, and obviously I was close with, you know, I was close with Brent, but I was also close with the whole band. Like I was close with Reed. We had done touring together we had done like a cat bite we are the union kill lincoln um little run you know a couple you know in 2019 so like i you know we're we're all friendly and um you know i just remember brent was kind of hinting hey like yeah we're working on a new record like i think we want to do it you know with bad time and i'm like yeah absolutely like let's talk about it i you know i want to hear it i want to talk about it like let's start talking about it so I remember they set up a um, a Zoom call with me because everything was Zoom call still, and um, you know I it was with Brent and Reed, and you know the both of them were sort of explaining what they were doing in their process, and then Reed let me know that she was transitioning, and she let me know that like this, and this was very early on. You know this was I don't think she had let many people know at all. So first of all, I was just like taken with the fact that she felt comfortable like sharing this with me. I was, I don't want to sound like corny, but like, I was, I was like touched. I was like, I was, I don't know. I I felt good that she felt comfortable sharing that. Um, And it turned out that like, that was going to be like a really important part of the record because that's what the record was about. Like the whole record was about this process for Reed. So, um, so she had to let me know that because if we were going to work together on all this stuff, like I had to kind of know what the record was about and what this was all going to entail. So, so we had that conversation. And then from there, it was just like, I mean, if you know Brent at all, like Brent is just like, has a good idea every 69 minutes, like, <laughs> or like 69 seconds rather. <laughs> Some integer of 69. Yeah. <laughs> four to every four minutes and 20 seconds. Or 69 seconds. Um, Brent is just like full of, full of awesome ideas and like constantly just coming up with stuff. Hey, what if we did like art prints? So Justin could do a thing for every song or what if we did dad hats and this, or what if we did a video where this happens? And, you know, it's a definitely a collaborative effort, um, you know, between Reed and Brent and, and the whole band, but just like I was, you know, I'm close with Brent, like we're friends and we're always talking. So just to hear this like stream of consciousness of ideas and to be able to bounce stuff back and forth so quickly and directly with the band, was a really fun experience. Um, so yeah. And when the record came out, like, or when we announced it, um, it got a lot of, uh, attention. First of all, just because that's first single, like fucking rules. Uh, yeah. Orbit obsessions is such a good song. Like there was no question in anybody's mind what the single was, what the first single was. It was like, so clear <laughs> that that was the single. I don't think it's ever been that clear. Uh, I mean, every, like so many songs on the record are good, but that song just stands out. It's, it's so catchy and fun and, and, uh, just a great way to intro the record. Um, 
But yeah, it things like kind of exploded and the response for Reed was so positive, which I think was one of the things we were, I mean, that we were all just most con- not concerned about, but just like, I, I just want that to go well, you know, like it's, it's a huge part of her life. And like, we just wanted to make sure that she felt good about it. Yeah. Um, like sure. more important than the record, like selling records is great, but like, this is like a really important thing. And like, this is how she wants to announce it because that's who Reed is like, um, you know, the music and, and her life are one and the same. Um, so yeah, I was just so thankful how, how it was received and how it continues to be received. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's an amazing record. You talk about an aesthetic now, the, yeah. we are the union release. You could teach a class in how to create <laughs> an aesthetic by yeah. watching their rollout, just the, the photos, the color schemes, the videos, really, really good. I mean, absolutely amazing. And the, the credit there goes to Ray, mm-hmm. uh, Ray, Ray Mystic for the, for the for photography and sort of, um, you know, and also there's credit to, to Chris Grau for the videos. Yeah. Uh, but the consistency, this, this, I mean, yes, the, the images are all really good, but the consistency yeah. between them is a really, was really fantastic. And that was all part of the plan, you know, and that was like, I'm sure there was a little bit of Brent in there too, like knowing how a rollout goes and a little bit of me knowing what assets we're going to need. I hate calling them assets, but it's like, it's just, it's just shorthand for like, I know like to sustain a six week album rollout, um, you need a certain amount of, of photos and I'm going to need to build a certain number of man, I, we sold records so fast. Like we sold out of pressing so fast that I would make a little graphic, um, being like, all right, new pressing today. It's, it's olive green. Then I'd have to wake up the next morning and make a new one. I'm like, all right, new pressing today. It's, it's pink and clear or whatever. <laughs> like I was like, I was making these graphics. So like, yeah, it, it, I think it was, I mean, obviously I have to give another shout out to Ray and to Chris and to, um, to Justin, um, you know, who all kind of combined on the album art and the look, but yeah, we all worked together to sort of like make sure everything had a through line and, and fit the same aesthetic, you know, even when I'm doing, you know, the little graphics that have like the band name and the album on it, like it has to all kind of look a certain way and fit the vibe. So we all worked together on that and kind of just synced up. So we are the union that release was like, you know, it was a surprise release for one. And I think every, everything about it was, you know, a left field thing and and it benefited from everyone just being like, Whoa, you know, musically the, the concept and the, the visuals, everything was just like the, the rollout was, was benefited from that, that, you know, nobody expected it sort of thing. Catbite on the other hand, I feel like everyone was like waiting for the, what's, you know, this band, everyone had been growing and loving this band more and more. And I was like, oh, I can't wait for the next released by this band yeah and it just comes out and it, i feel like in a way it was just like yes this is exactly what we expected it's <laughs> it's really good it's a little bit better than the last one uh you know what i mean and it's just like yeah, yeah. in a way it just like fulfilled exactly what you wanted in, in, the, in a really good way yeah and i think a little bit with that too is like with 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 watu there was like this cone of silence right like, yeah no one was permitted to talk about that album release, like no one. And for good reasons. Um, yeah. But you know, with Capite, it's like, 
you know, they were like, hey, we're recording now. Like, hey, we're in the studio. Like, hey, but something cool's going to happen. Like, they didn't do, like, the big things coming soon thing. But, like, there were probably a, there were a couple posts that were, like, kind of things coming soon. You know, like, a little bit like that. Um, I would have yelled at Tim if he did that too hard. But, like, there was a little bit of that. And, yeah, people expected it. And, and they definitely, um, they, like, honed in on the best parts of the first album and, like, what the band was and could be and fully realized it on the second album on nice one. Like, I don't know how they did that so perfectly, but they really like just, yeah, just zoomed in real close on the, the best nuggets and expanded on that. Um, yeah, such a good record. So here's an interesting thing about your experience with bad time records and the timing of it. So you're, you're seeing an interest, you're seeing interest grow. You're seeing sales increase at the same time, things are getting more complicated for vinyl. So, um, the vinyl turnaround times are growing exponentially. Yep. So the way I understand it is the label's doing really good, but it doesn't feel like it's doing good because you're having to put more and more money up front. (laughs) <laughs> because you're having to like stage releases further and further and further out than you had to. Like Aaron, it sounds like you're intimately acquainted with oh, yeah. books. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm curious what this was like for you. Um, yeah. Like, cause so, I mean, like, right. It's like kind of like almost like what am I doing good? Am I not doing good? Yeah. 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 It's really hard to tell. Um, <laughs> so 2020, uh, early 2020, what were the turnarounds like? Early 2020, I think we put in the, I think we put in the We Are the Union record in like December of 2019, and we had it in hand in like March or April. Okay, I think we had a, we had the first chunk of it in hand like end of April or maybe even May. So it was like it was like four months, and that was pretty typical. I thought um, like four or five months was like kind of normal. Um, but now it's like eight months if you're lucky, maybe even a year, which is crazy. So yeah, just like you're saying, it's like, it's hard to tell, like I can tell release by release, like when things break even, if they're making money, like it's all great. And like, I'm sure there are people out there who are like, oh yeah, you're bad time. Like they're doing so good. Like they're just raking it in and they're doing, it's like, no, <laughs> like just like it's awesome that everything's like everybody's making a little bit of money and like that's wild to me. But it's not like we're all just like the Scrooge McDuck and like jumping yeah. in the pools of cash. Like for us, who bands who have never made money on anything or at any show or for any physical release, like it feels like that a little bit. But you know, it's it's still tough. But yeah, it's even tougher compounded by the fact that you know, to plan a release eight months in advance, that means, yeah, you're paying 75% of the down payment on a release eight months in advance and you're not recouping that, you know, uh, <laughs> until like maybe almost a year later. So, um, yeah, it's crazy to tell. It's crazy right now to be pressing vinyl, but I think we're going to be okay. Like we've, you know, we've planned a lot of stuff well in advance next year. I know what's coming like almost everything for the entire year um which is kind of nuts um but yeah i think i think we're gonna be okay i think there is gonna be vinyl next year yeah so you have it like so you've everything has stayed consistent so i think to your credit 
you've been you've been able to be consistent you've been able to have a release a month like you you know you haven't been like oh sorry guys couldn't do a release this month yeah no i wouldn't i would i don't know i it hasn't come up yet where i've never had to like cancel a release like we were supposed to have one release this year that i i did have to move to next year but luckily we had um you know i had two other things that were kind of like waiting to come out that I just kind of slotted in instead. So um, I kind of got lucky there, but yeah, I think it'll be a similar thing next year. Like I'm really getting better at planning ahead. Um, so, you know, it, not just for new releases, but like things like represses um, stuff like that. So there should be a lot of interesting stuff next year. Oh, just a little footnote. Um, we're recording this in uh, 2021, but, but this will release this. It'll be 2022 when we're released. So, just do, just listeners out there, just do the math. <laughs> confusing math. This isn't in defense of math, Aaron. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> We're ska bands. We can't do math. It's, it's like, you know, how many members, like how divide $20 by seven members. That's um, <laughs> something like that. That means nobody's eating. That's like one, that's two tacos a person from Taco Bell. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, Mike, final question. What's your least favorite band on Bad Time Records? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just kidding. You don't have to. You can tell no, us I'm after. I'm not going to say You can tell us after. No, I'm not going <laughs> to say that. No, we won't, none I of them. We won't. We, won't, love, we won't tell anybody. I love all the bands on Bad Time Records. <laughs> Who's the best record packer at Bad Time Records? Yeah, yeah, let's hear this. Oh, that's an easy one. It's Jorge. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Shout out to Jorge. Shout that's out Jake Jorge. Biography. Jorge. Adam's in a close second. Well, no, maybe third. My wife, oh no, Zelina's number one. Then it's Jorge. Then it's Adam. So you're like number three, Adam. All right, I'm not doing too bad. How many people pack records at Bad Time? Uh, Three. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. No. So I'm number one. I'm the best. Then it's Zelina. <laughs> then it's Jorge. Then it's you. So you're number four. That's not bad. Okay. That's pretty good. Nice. Out of four. Yeah. So Adam, when you're when you're packing records there, um, what do you do to make the time go by? I pack the records. I mean, do you like <laughs> bring music or uh, do you play games? What do you do? I, I usually go on Instagram Live. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's it's fun. Because usually I recognize half the names of the people whose I'm, records I'm packing, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're in they're in the live stream, and it's yeah, and it's really fun. fun for them to get to like see like oh there's my record it's being packed up and it's going in the mail. And I you included like a you included a piece of my lawn in somebody's order that no it was, it was a leaf it was a leaf <laughs> in one of the trees it's weird man yeah, I mean they were like people were like. You know, I was like, what What can I put in this mail order for this person? Elliot Springfield <laughs> is his name. And uh, I was like, there's wow. leaves on the ground. They're like, yeah, put a leaf in there. So I'm still like, waiting for the, the PayPal deposit yeah. for that leaf. Shout out to <laughs> Elliot Springfield, who won a uh, signed copy of In Defense of Ska during the uh, Ska Tune Network YouTube stream. Nice. Yeah. That guy wins awesome. everything. Yeah. Yeah, Elliot. Or you do, Adam. <laughs> Me? Yeah, you were calling in on the live streams for a while. kind of. Oh, yeah, I did. I think I did you won win. the leg, didn't you? You won the leg. The leg never showed up, though. I did get a, a, a <laughs> bad operation test press, though. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Which is funny because that's the bad operation record that I listened to, too. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not like sacred about it at all. Some guy on Discogs just fainted because you said that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at In Defense of Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarnes.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.